Welcome to the Transformational Travel Podcast, bringing you inspiring stories of life-changing travel experiences from around the world. Now, here's your host, Transformational Retreat Leader, Ann Gordon. Welcome back to another episode of Transformational Travel. And today I am super excited to have this me, my amazing guest, Celine Cousteau. Welcome, Celine. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm really thrilled about our conversation. As you and I were chatting before, we have much in common. And let me share your bio with everybody who don't know you and love you yet. Celine Cousteau comes from a lineage of explorers, and as a humanitarian and environmental activist, she works with a variety of mediums that range from documentaries to art, from consulting with corporations and foundations to public speaking. Celine's goal throughout her work is reconnecting people to themselves, each other, and to nature. I'm all about that too. That's exactly what I do. So I love that we have we have finally connected. As a documentary director and producer, Celine created cause-centric productions to focus on cause-focused media content, extending her family legacy and her expertise. Celine co-founded the Outdoor Film Fellowship, a nonprofit program whose mission is to empower the next generation of filmmakers, creatives, and activists to inspire change through leadership, film, and the arts. Celine is Ambassador for the Treadwright Foundation and on the board of directors of the National Aquarium in Baltimore. Tribes on the Edge is Celine's first full feature documentary, the result of a request from the indigenous peoples of the Vale do Jovari, hope I said that right, Brazilian Amazon, to tell their story to the world. And I got to say, how you and I connected was. I was sitting at home working on my computer one day and my dear friend, Rich German sends me a text message and you got to jump on the zoom call right away. Celine Cousteau there's she's talking about this tribe in Brazil and it sounds like your tribe and you got to get on here. <laughs> and I jumped on and the call had been on going for a while. And I quickly watched the trailer for your show. And I'm like, Oh my God, these faces are the same as my ex-husband's tribe. And then the first thing that happened was Rich was called on to answer a question. And then he called me out. He says, oh, and I just invited my friend Ann here. Ann, take it away. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I shared my connection with Ann, but on, I noticed you were nodding in it to what I was saying. And, and here we are. So here welcome. We are, indeed. Thank you. I, I think, I mean, I think those kinds of stories are lovely, first of all, because you realize that there's so many interconnections between people. Um, and for somebody like Reg, just to go, Anne needs to be here, um, you create one more thread of connectivity in the world um, between two different people's stories who would have never met. Um, and even though the people that we both um, are going to be speaking about are, are in different areas of the world, we have similar stories. We do. We absolutely do. So this film, for me, it was almost like a homecoming because I was married into the Embera tribe for 15 years. I have been back in the U.S. for about a year and a half now, and I miss them terribly. And mm. they were such a big part of my life. So for me, I know that the purpose of the film 
there's there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of frustration and hopelessness. Yet what you showed in the film was the beauty of the people. Mm. And that's what made me fall in love with my husband's tribe and what I think you fell in love with when you met them, correct? Yeah, it's, um, you know, what I wanted to do with Tribes on the Edge, first of all, was honor their request for me to tell their story. Um, And in order to do so, I'm guided by them. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I mean is that when um, when I enter a village, Typically, they are the ones to tell me who I'm going to be interviewing, which which may mean it skews. Um, and, and actually, I should say it does mean it will skew towards the men of the village. Mm-hmm. But I also have to honor their way of doing things and their voices. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vale de Javari is the, the second largest indigenous territory in the Brazilian Amazon. Um, there are about 7000 people there. Of the 7,000, approximately 2,000 are uncontacted, uh, which means they've had no contact with the outside world. Those are not villages and they're not people that we had any contact with whatsoever mm-hmm. because a cold or a flu could really wipe out entire villages. Right. Um, and, the, and the law is such that, that there is mm-hmm. no contact made. Um, of the remaining um, about 5,000, there are uh, five contacted tribes that are represented in the film. And so we really wanted to honor their different ways of being and different ways of speaking. But what you saw throughout the film is they have a similar message yes. that there are illegal activities encroaching on their land and they w- don't want that happening. They want to do more than survive. They want to live and thrive. Um, and they're asking for help in protecting their human rights and their land rights, which are given to them. Uh, this land does belong to them. There's just not enough protection. So it's quite a complex story. But I think in seeing the, the sadness and the difficulties, one, as you just mentioned, sees also the beauty because there are a lot of beautiful stories. We didn't want to just, you know, bring the morale down with how difficult mm-hmm. this existence is, but we wanted to uplift it in, in how similar it is to us where we care for our children, we bathe, we eat, we, um, you know, maybe we harvest at the supermarket, they harvest in the jungle, but, <laughs> you know, it's along the same lines. And, and these are, are caring, feeling human beings who um, are grieving at loss as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I most important to me, what, what strikes me about your film and even in your bio, and it's something that's really important to me as well, is that it's all based on respect. Mm. That you were invited to tell this story by them. Mm. It's not about you deciding, hey, we need to make a film about these people. They need us. And, and as a former tour guide, I would hear that all the time. And the tourists say, well, you know, they should do this and mm. they should do that. And they mm. could really make more money by such and such. And I, I, it was just innate in me that I never, ever volunteered even my opinion about anything that was happening in the village. Cause it's not my place. I'm the outsider. Yes. I'm married in, and yes, I'm considered family. And yes, I'm considered a white in bed up, but I will never be truly part of the tribe ever but the the role that you played um in in bringing tourists in and showing a part of the community that that they chose to show to right. the tourists is you created a bridge yes. and and that's a bridge of of information and it's a bridge of understanding of empathy of respect i feel it's a bit what i was chosen to do mm-hmm. for this territory as well um and you know when somebody says to me oh you give voice to the voiceless i'm like no they have strong voices Correct. you're just not listening Absolutely. Um, and, and, 
and or you're not giving them a space to speak. Yes. And so I feel my role as an ally um, is to create those bridges, is to create those opportunities in whatever way I can. You mentioned earlier that I, I uh, designed sculpture and jewelry. One of them, uh, I did a collection for Swarovski called Tribute to Tribe, mm. which was inspired by different tribal designs this time from the Shipibo in, in the Peruvian Amazon. But the, the elaboration on the story was the connection of indigenous people to their territory, to their land, to nature, um, and living in harmony and balance with it. It just, it happens to look like a piece of jewelry. And I think that all of us are capable of that. I don't think it requires a career path in environmentalism to be an environmentalist. <laughs> right. um, and same thing with a humanitarian is one just has to uh, have an open mind um, and heart and the desire and passion to be able to help. And then you find a path to it. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that because there are so many ways to help and it doesn't, mm. it doesn't mean like me moving to a no, new country and <laughs> living in the jungle for 15 years. And it doesn't mean like you going and, mm. and, you know, and making a whole film about it, but we can do it in our ways through our art, through our storytelling, yeah. through our conversations, even casual conversations. And I love that. And, and you actually met this tribe when you were nine years old, right? Well, I first went to the Amazon when I was nine years old. I was I was actually in the Peruvian Amazon okay. um, at that time and landed in Iquitos, and then I spent a couple of a couple of weeks um, aboard a ship and and sailing there. But then I went back to uh, the Amazon in two thousand six and seven. And it was in uh, 2007 that I ended up in the Javari territory um, as part of a much bigger film and story called Return to the Amazon, um, going back to places my grandfather had been to in the 80s when I was mm -hmm. nine. Right. Um, and that's when I met the people of the Javari. I was able to attend a conference of the contacted tribes of the Javari, and um, we were invited in you know, this is 15, 20 hours by boat, um, breaking down a couple of times and finally getting <laughs> into the middle of their, their territory right. and going into a village, spending three days listening to their stories of um, difficulty in this case around health issues. Mm -hmm. And that's how my, my connection to that region began. Beautiful. And in this podcast, I normally interview people who have had transformational travels that made a big impact on their lives, which mm. clearly your travels did in your life. But, yeah. but we're really taking it much further today in that you're creating this transformation or the goal of your film is to take people on a visual journey mm. to connect with the people of the Javari region and in a way that can transform and make a big impact in the tribe's lives. And, and to me, that's really powerful and it's so important. And what we have alluded to, but we haven't really talked about yet is they're facing some really tragic problems that, that my husband's tribe thankfully are not facing. So can you share with us about what they are dealing with right now? Sure. Um, well, it started in the 16th century. Um, I, I won't go uh, bit by bit through all of the different <laughs> <Right. laughs> the details because yes. obviously it's been centuries of yeah. oppression and, um, and attack from the outside. But in the 16th century, colonizers came um, looking for gold and um, enslaved indigenous people to work as servants, um, brought in diseases that were not endemic to the territory and that began a, a whole killing off of indigenous people. Mm -hmm. 
and to the day of today, a lot of illegal activities um, are are happening around their territory and on their territory. Um, there's gold mining, there's deforestation, legal hunting and fishing, uh, there's narco trafficking to the north, um, but not on their land. And so all of that puts pressure on on the indigenous people on the protection of their land. Um, and, you know, a lot of these encounters with illegal the people are, are conducting illegal activities mm -hmm. are aggressive encounters because right. if they come across, uh, you know, people um, in their villages or in the jungle, they will shoot first. And it's much like an intruder coming into your home. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't accept that somebody just walks into your kitchen, opens up your refrigerator and helps themselves right. um, or just starts taking your things just because they feel like it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what's happening on their land. Um, with COVID, we're seeing another example of, uh, you know, diseases coming in. What has been interesting is COVID has come onto their land. Mm. What I've heard is that aside of a few um, extreme cases uh, leading to death, which are typically with the elders, um, they have only had mild to moderate cases of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there's has been enough time or enough um, uh, I guess, personnel to really understand why are they not getting more severe cases, but um, they are just as vulnerable as they, as they were in the 16th century. And they knew that when, when they heard about COVID, they said, lock down our borders mm. immediately nice. because they still remember, they still right. remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have more recent memories of it. And more, and more, um, more experience with right. these kinds of yes. these kinds of things. What we're what we're feeling now as a global human community, um, for me, should be an opportunity to understand how connected we are and mm -hmm. how our future is connected, because it is only one future. It's one planet, right? And you know, when you think about, and this is you know something that, just in general, if you think about the Amazon rainforest. Um, it provides 20% of our global oxygen. Mm -hmm. And then you look at indigenous land and in the Brazilian Amazon, there's less deforestation on indigenous land than there is even on conservation land. So here we are dependent on this rainforest ecosystem for our every fifth breath. Mm -hmm. And here are these forest guardians that if they are alive and present are protecting the very ecosystem we depend on. For me, it's a no brainer equation right. in an amazing investment into human life globally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I love that statement when you when I've heard you talk about that before. In that, on indigenous lands, there is less deforestation. And when you said that, I had never made that connection, mm. but it makes perfect sense. And I have seen it. I just haven't made that that in my mind. I hadn't connected the two because where my husband's tribe, where his well, not the whole tribe, but his family, his village is located within a national park mm. that was created to protect the watershed of the Panama Canal, which is the number one, you know, source of income for the entire country. And so, yay, that's great. We have this economic motivation to keep things green. I love that. However, the park puts in all these restrictions, like no hunting and no cutting down of the trees, which they need for their dugout canoes and used to make their clothing out of, et cetera, et cetera, build their houses. But my thought was they, the tribe is part of nature, mm -hmm. right? They're not mm -hmm. different from it the way we see ourselves in our Western world, they are part of it. They're in harmony. They only take what they need. Yeah. You know, they're not going to waste the effort and the energy 
so that that is beautiful and your tribe your your region there's also some disease threats that they have besides covid going on don't, don't they well, it goes back. I mean, malaria was brought in um, when the European colonizers came with mm -hmm. African slaves. So malaria was brought in and that was the 16th century. Hepatitis um, was introduced into the region. And I use that word very carefully, but intentionally. Yeah, um, and they have hepatitis A, B, C and Delta. And about 80% of the population is affected. Now, hepatitis is um, in its, you know, I, again, I'm not a, a medic, so I don't have all the details, but it is preventable. Um, the problem is, is it's a cold chain vaccination. And we're seeing that with COVID, that with a cold chain vaccination, you have a lot more intricacies in terms of logistics. So you have to imagine, you know, 30 plus, 40 plus years ago, hepatitis, I think it's more than that even, um, hepatitis is introduced into the region. Um, you can prevent it, but there's no refrigeration and there's really no valid logistics of refrigeration in terms of bringing the vaccinations in because you're dealing with an area of the rainforest that's the size of Portugal um, or Maine in the in the in right. the United States, and that's only accessible by air or by river. So it's quite complex to solve a problem. I mean, I I you know tried working on ideas, and one of them was drone um, uh, delivery to mm -hmm. be able to use yeah larger scale drones that would be able to deliver, but then you would need government approval and access. Mm -hmm. um, and in Brazil, that's quite complicated. Right, right. To say the least. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I have seen that where in, in Panama, the, the tribes for, it wasn't until like the 1970s that the tribes were even counted in the census. Mm. So I've seen how the government treats or better word is ignore the tribes mm -hmm. And I've seen how the society ignores and treats them. And one of the most painful conversations I ever had was with a young, a young Panamanian wealthy man who we were just having a conversation. He didn't know why I was there. And so he asked me, how'd you, why are you in Panama? And so I started telling my story about how I came and met the Embera tribe. And he, I don't even remember his words. I blocked them out exactly because they were so horrible but he equated them to dogs mm. and not, not pet fun dogs at all, mm -hmm. like dirty street dogs. And I was horrified and in my yeah. mind is racing. It's like, how do I even deal with this horrid comment? And so I thought, well, I'll continue my story. And I said, and I married one of them. Mm. <laughs> and what did it, he say? It shut him up. He yeah. didn't know what to say, and he just made an excuse and walked away. But it's this prevalent attitude that you're fighting to make a difference in the government, in the society. And it's like, how the heck do we even make a dent in that? I mean, we make a dent every day. I think that, um, you know, that's something else I'm sure you learned it there yes. is, is when you are trying to rush in the jungle, you're just wasting your time. Right. Um, and that, you you know, if you're in it, you're in it for the marathon and this yes. is not a sprint. You can't just get right. to the finish line quickly. These kinds of issues, um, as Beto keeps reminding me, um, he, they didn't happen overnight. We're not gonna solve them overnight. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a question of probably literally spending a lifetime um, in every small way or big way possible, uh, kind of scratching at that and adding in information and education, telling your story and this is something that, you know, we screened the film uh, Tribes on the Edge uh, quite a few times, film festivals and, and community screenings. 
And um, we were fortunate enough to be able to bring Beto to the United States. Um, we brought him to the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues twice nice. because it was important for me to say, okay, here is a platform for Indigenous people. Let's facilitate your part in being there. Mm-hmm. Um, while he came to the States, we also screened the film a couple of times with him. And an audience member said, how can we help you? Right. And he very simply said the same request he asked of me to tell their story. He said, now that you have seen my story, tell it because it becomes yours. Right. Beautiful. And I think that that we can't underestimate the power of what that is. And I know it's not tangible. It's not planting a tree. It's not saving a life. But as Beto's brother told me when I was down there in November 2019, I sat with him. I said, Eliesio, I'm not even sure that a film makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, audiences say they're inspired. I have amazing conversations. Right. People are moved. They're touched. They learn more. But how is it changing your life? And he looks at me. He goes, don't underestimate what your film has done. He goes, your film has saved lives, but you will never know. He's like, wow. you have to trust. Wow. And, and I just, I walked away with that. I was like, okay, that's it. You know, we, in our societies, in, in Western societies, we like to see proof. We like to see data. We like to see things on paper. We want to return on our investment. Right. right. Um, and we forget, we forget energy. We forget instinct. We forget uh, karma is maybe not the right word, but this, this notion of what you put out into the world is felt somewhere. It's the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can truly believe that, then we would do what's right. Right. It's just that sometimes we need a little bit of a reminder. Yeah. So beautiful. And there are so many directions I could go with that. But <laughs> but I, I love that it is a ripple effect. And a softening of our hearts is what we need in our Western society that focuses on work and getting things done and, you know, that more aggressive way of being. But again, it reminds me of all the time I've spent with the Embera tribe and the quiet wisdom that they have that you just shared through Beto and his brother that it's that they have and what I found in the conversations with the Embera is they just they get it they have these beautiful thinking minds mm-hmm. that are not cluttered with you know a nine to five job but they see they so see human nature mm-hmm. and they can so eloquent eloquently, I can even say the word, (laughs) eloquently share with us their thoughts. And if you and I, through speaking, through your film, through this podcast, through our, the people we meet can help soften people's hearts, Mm. open their minds to, I always say the Embera, and I'm sure that the tribes, you know, as well, have the quality of life the rest of the world is searching for. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, um, and, and I like that, the softness. Um, I'm typically not a soft person. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my to-do lists and I love checking them off. Right? I'm, I've, <laughs> I've got the chaotic artist running around wild in my head. And then I've got the type A on the outside. Um, and they, they often have a lot of conversations <laughs> about how to go about doing things. Right. Um, but we, we do live in a society that we are rewarded on how busy we are. We're rewarded yes. on how much yes. we get done. Yes. We're rewarded on lack of sleep and saying we're stressed and, oh my God, right. I have so many things to do <laughs> because that gives us relevancy and importance mm-hmm. because that's what we've been taught. Right. We've been taught that the busier we are, the more relevant we are, mm-hmm. uh, the less available we are, the more important we might be. Mm-hmm. And, and lack of sleep and stress means, whoa, you, you, you've got to have some heck of a job there. Yes. Like, wow, yes. I wonder what you do. <laughs> 
but it's all a lot of it's self-imposed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guilty as charged as well. And and these are good reminders. These kinds of this kind of work. Um, one is looking at it for the future. Like mm-hmm. you're in here for the long haul. Take your time. Self-improvement is the same way. Uh, you know, you mentioned a, a bit of my bio at the beginning of like reconnecting with self, others, and nature. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized with taking a step back during this pandemic, right. because I'm not traveling incessantly, is I've gained a bit of a perspective to be able to launch forward. But I've been doing a lot of work on that third element in terms of reconnecting people in nature. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing some work with the second element, reconnecting people to others. But how about the self? Right. Um, and I find that if we if we return to that, and this is what I feel I'm doing as well, if we return to that central focus to be like, if I am well, if I am balanced, if I'm respectful, if I'm healthy, if I'm, you know, fill in the list, Mm -hmm. I can be more for others without leaking energy because it will be in a much more thoughtful, focused way in a much more balanced way. And you will still get a lot of things done. You will still be important. You will still have (laughs) relevancy in the world. But you, you just might be a calmer, more focused, um, and more effective and efficient person. And I say this for myself as well. This is almost like my, my self-meditation at the moment saying, it is okay to take a step back and evaluate. Because the truth is, is you already know. Instinctually, you already know. Yes. It's just we've lost connection with that. Yeah. We've lost connection with that, with ourselves, with nature, mm-hmm. and most importantly, with each other. Yeah. Right. And I I want to share a story, a real quick story that one time in the village, when the embedder would come to the city, it would be so chaotic and noise and scary and noisy. And the kids would always be afraid in the beginning when they were very young. And but they would see the city and they would see how people were and they would mm. see the homeless. And mm. one day one of them asked me. Anne, are there homeless in the United States? Because of course, like like everybody else outside the U.S. thinks everybody in the U.S. is wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yes, there are. I said, there's even women and children that are homeless. And he looked at me and he thought about that for a minute. And then he said, well, you have to bring them here. <laughs> That's sweet. Because that's how well, it's how they think, yeah. right? They will take yeah. care of anybody who needs it. Yeah. You know, there's, I, I don't know if it was that like this with the Mbida, but there was um, a, a critical um, mass when a village would then split into two. And it was about 140 to 150 people. Right. And and I hadn't done any studies on this. Somebody asked me the question one day. I was like, oh, actually, I random knowledge somebody told me that when they get to about 150 people they split the village mm-hmm. up and i heard recently that that there's a a, a type of species that also does that and, oh, wow. and the number was around 140 150 wow. um it, it's relevant to what you're saying because i think you know we look at our populations and we think we can't do more for other people and i'm you know mm-hmm. i'm already trying to feed my family right. and and all respect like if yes. you're on survival mode yourself like mm-hmm. you you need to keep focusing on self because the better you do for yourself the better it's, right. it is for others and i don't mean that just in an economic sense <laughs> right. i mean in a balanced yes. sense but but we do we do have access we do have access we have we have mm-hmm. excess food we have excess waste yep. we have excess money we have excess space yep. We have excess clothing, yes. um, and and there are plenty of people doing good in the world that are trying to help those who don't have. Right. And this is where you know when somebody says, "How can I help the indigenous people of the Javari?" I'm like, 
if it's your passion, mm-hmm. I can give you really like great places to be able to support, including our continued work because we didn't stop at the film. Mm-hmm. We're doing action initiatives and education campaign. But my my um, advice is to figure out what you're passionate about mm-hmm. because it might not be at all what I am passionate about. Right. In which case, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do that every day. Mm-hmm. And that's going to become your habit. That's going to become who you are. So I think the first thing people should do is really honor that part of themselves and what they really care about outside themselves and follow through with that. Yeah, that's a powerful message because if it's the ocean, if it's the homeless, if it's whatever it is that you, whatever it is that you're passionate yeah. about, that's what's yeah. going to keep you moving forward and keep it happening. So yeah, yeah. At the moment, my nine-year-old is passionate about um, cats that need rescuing. Oh, I'm like 100. percent Let's do that. Right, I mean, right? Why not? Yeah. So I have I have a jar set aside. When he gets money, he has to pick where he puts how he separates his money. So there's a jar to spend, a jar to give, and a jar to save. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I match, I match his giving jar and I match his savings jar. Nice. So if he puts, you know, 10 euros and the other day he put 20 euros in his mm. giving jar and five in his savings, I was like, hmm, there goes my pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's going to get harder the older he gets. Yes. But, but that kind of encouragement, mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody can do that, yes. but that kind of encouragement to say, yes find, find what it is that you care about and let me figure out how to support you in this, even if it's just visiting and petting cats. Right, right. Um, because I think it, what it does is it creates the human that you are and that's what really matters. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I want to be respectful of your time. I know you, you, your time is short today, but before we go, tell us a little bit about the Javari foundation and what that's all about. So we, um, the Tribes on the Edge film is a nonprofit project um, and any donations that come in go back into our work. Um, Right now, obviously we're done with the film and it's available on uh, Amazon Prime, iTunes in the United States um, and some other SVODs. Um, Any donations that come in at the moment are going into our education program. So we are working with William and Mary University to um, create an educational curriculum for nine to 12 year olds which will each include five units, will have a lesson and activity and a multimedia element to it. Um, So that will help our work on that. And we have created a nonprofit called the Javari Project, which is based in the Netherlands. Um, We don't yet have information on the web because we are really wanted to get our footing under us first to create the strategy and the plan with our NGO and and other partners um, to then be able to launch forward. So when that becomes available, we'll make it public, but it will be the Javari project, not related to the only Javari project out there, which is mission-based. That's not us. Right, right. Got it. Got it. Beautiful. And so we will put a link also to the film. I do highly recommend that everybody go to see the film tribesontheedge.com. You can see about the film. You can see a trailer, which is what got me instantly hooked and recognize all those beautiful faces Mm. of the region and, and of course, connected to my Embera tribe. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today and sharing. And you and I could go on and on and on about comparing Yes, we could. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't have all day. I know you need to go pick up your son. So is there any last parting words you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Um, you know, I, I keep going back to this one in every five breaths because mm-hmm. I think it's so tangible is that I, I would ask that everybody just take five breaths and realize that that fifth one is thanks to the Amazon and thanks to the indigenous people that protect that ecosystem for all of us. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Take five breaths and a blessing and a gratitude to the Amazon, to the indigenous peoples of the region. And you can also add a thank you to yourself, Celine, for sharing their message, their story with the world and for answering their call, because that's a big Mm. deal. You know, it's a lot of people get those calls and say, share our story. And you're like, yeah, I'm too busy. It's not, I, I can't make a film. I can't do that. So thank you for doing what you have done for them. It's been my honor. Thank you, Anne. You are so welcome. This episode of Transformational Travel is brought to you by Embera Village Tours. The Embera tribes still live in traditional villages deep in the rainforest of Panama. They are proud to share their culture and way of life with visitors. Tourism allows them to continue living the way they have for centuries. Spend a day or overnight with the warm and welcoming Embera tribe. Go to EmberaVillageTours.com to experience the quality of life you have been searching for. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for tuning in to another episode of Transformational Travels and blessings on your journeys. Thank you for traveling with us today. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Get more information at transformationaltravelpodcast.com.